Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Profit Playbook Podcast. In this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, digital marketing, and how to grow a profitable online business with some of the best minds in the space. I'm your host, Tyler Narducci. I broke free of the nine to five rat race back in 2015 by starting my own digital marketing agency and have since scaled it up to multiple seven figures. Today, I run a consulting firm helping marketing agencies and B2B business owners rapidly scale their online businesses through our 100% done for you leads and sales program. We do this by fully automating your lead generation, sales, and client fulfillment. If you're interested in taking your agency or B2B business to the next level, then apply now at www.profitpeak.co. That's www.profitpeak.co. There will be a clickable link in the podcast show notes below. Now, let's dive into today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode of the Profit Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Narducci, and today I have with me Pat Ahern. With over a decade of experience, Pat has successfully guided a diverse range of businesses from solo founders to billion-dollar brands in scaling their ventures through strategic SEO and content marketing at his agency, Intergrowth. He is a serial entrepreneur who's failed seven different businesses before bootstrapping his marketing agency, Intergrowth, to a million-dollar agency. And today we're talking about the blueprint for a successful agency. So, Pat, I think you are the perfect guest for this topic. Thank you again for joining the show. My pleasure, Tyler. Thank you for having me on. I'm psyched to be here. Absolutely. And you're joining us all the way from uh, Stockholm today. Yes, is that correct? Yeah, so I, I grew up in the US. I, uh, I moved over to Stockholm coming up on two years ago now with my now wife. Um, it's an incredible place to be. I, you know, I always like to give Swedes a hard time. It's a, it's a difficult place to be in the wintertime. But aside from that, I love it over here. If you can handle that, I'm sure the views and the beauty of that country is probably well worth it. So thanks again for joining us. I'll dive right into the questions because I have a lot that I want to ask you uh, on this episode. So first off, just what inspired you to start a digital marketing agency and how did you lay the foundation for success in it? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned at the top, I... I've come from a, a pretty long background of trying and failing to start businesses. And I've learned, I would say, a lot of lessons from screwing things up along the way. Um, but SEO is just very broadly a space that I fell into, I think it was 11, maybe 12 years ago. And uh, I, I still laugh about it nowadays, but I, like, I just fell weirdly in love with the space. I was just fascinated by it. Um, I've always loved marketing. I've always loved the idea of like building and I think for me, probably the the intersection, I guess I would say, between the data, trying to understand how this like sophisticated series of algorithms work together, and then working on like consumer psychology has just been fascinating to me. So fell in love with SEO. Um, initially, I would say the path to what is now Intergrowth started out back in 2015, where I met my then business partner. At the time, we were working at another marketing agency in our area. Um, he and I were, you know, these two 20, like something year old young kids going into this agency, naturally assuming that we, uh, that we knew how to run things better than they did after having them been around for a decade prior to that. So we, we pushed for a lot of changes that we thought would be improvements. Um, I would say, understandably so, the heads of the organization pushed back against a lot of those ideas. Uh, eventually, it just became clear to us, you know, hey, we're really passionate about these core concepts. Why don't we go off and build our own business based on these ideas, you know, where we'll have free reign? Um, I think probably the, the inexperience really showed because we assumed, oh, we're going to be earning so much more money so quickly doing this as well, uh, which is certainly... I would say for most people, not the case when you first start a business and wasn't the case for us, but really we decided to start what then became intergrowth off of a couple core principles. One, he and I were and both still are to this day, big believers in the idea that the freelance economy is the future. Our thought process was, which I would say it, it doesn't sound quite as, as revolutionary now, but back in those days, what we were seeing is everyone was working inside an office five days a week. It was really rare to have remote employees that you were working with. And we were in an era where there were all these different freelance platforms that were emerging. Upwork being, I would say, the most well-known out of all of them. Our belief was, and still is to this day, 
that the best companies in the world are going to be the ones that adopt the idea of hiring the best people in the world, regardless of where they're located. So rather than find people that maybe live a 20, 30 minute drive from your office, why not instead build a framework that allows you to bring in the best people from across the world and work the hours that they want to work? So a lot of that came to building this team of freelancers and then building this framework around these freelancers that gave them flexibility to showcase their own expertise, but also had structures and almost like guidelines or railings in place to make sure that we could maintain consistent quality as we offered those services over time. So I would almost say that we we probably like accidentally stumbled into starting this business off of just being really passionate about working with the freelance business model and building an agency that just offered really exceptional, consistent services with as much transparency as possible. Yeah, it's funny. I I started my agency in a very, very similar way. I, you know, I, I completely thought the exact same thing. I'm like, why would I limit myself to my local area and the employees and, and contractors and everything that I could find right here when there's so much more talent out there online looking for, you know, freelancers and contractors out there that are, you know, just top tier uh, and you can partner with them. And not only is it kind of helpful on the, the business side, because if they're a contractor or a freelancer, there's not, you know, benefits and all that, that heavy work involved in for H on the HR side, but you also have a greater pool of talent when you can go worldwide and you also give them that autonomy and flexibility to, like you said, work on their own schedule. So I think it works better for your clients and your, your team when you don't limit yourself like that. So I, I fully agree on that point as well. What advice would you have for other agencies um, when it comes to closing more deals? Because we have a, a big uh, audience of people who are just constantly looking to drive revenue, drive revenue, drive revenue. And there's so many other things that lead into growing the revenue for a digital marketing agency other than sales. But a lot of people, you know, they really want to focus on the, the sales piece of it. So I did want to get one of these questions in here for you. What do you think? Um, like I said, what do you think, you know, what would be your advice for people that are, you know, laser set on, I got to close more deals? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, I would say this this advice I think is one of the one of the hardest things to it's really easy to preach it's really hard to practice in reality but one of one of the things I would say I'm really proud that we've done to date and I hope that we're able to continue doing it forever is we have placed so much emphasis on I would almost say not selling deals but more so being a trusted advisor that businesses come to, knowing that a small handful of those businesses will end up working with us. So mm. maybe to elaborate on that a little bit, I found the best success off of approaching or when a business approaches us or when we approach a business to start out with just a transparent conversation of what are their business's goals. If it's a case where they're reaching out to us, let's say for SEO, I, I want to understand, you know, hey, why are you looking to invest in SEO? That's it's a really granular marketing subset. You know, let's talk about what your expectations are for it. Did you have a, a colleague who told, told you, hey, you need to spend 5, 10K a month on SEO um, and you're not really sure what to expect from it? Or, you know, do you really well understand SEO and you know it's a great long-term growth channel and you want to invest in it? But oftentimes we'll find that we'll talk to businesses and based on the goals that they share with us, it might be possible for us to close them as a client. But the reality is, if we close them as a deal and we don't end up helping them out, they're probably going to stay on board for services for three months, be frankly just not very happy with the quality of service because we didn't have that goal discussion at the onset of the relationship. And then they're most likely going to churn as a client and maybe they leave us a negative review. Maybe they badmouth us to other people in the industry. Um, and I look at that, if that happens, that's our fault because we didn't do due diligence. We didn't make sure that we were the right partner for them, that they were the right partner for us to work with. So it can be really tough to practice that advice, especially like in difficult or especially I would say A, in early stages of starting your agency, but B, in difficult economies. And I would argue we're in a pretty difficult economy now where it's really hard for agencies to close new business. It can be really tempting to just really focus on closing that deal. 
I do very firmly believe, though, that it's far better to focus on the long term, focus on being a trusted resource and approach every single potential client with the goal that, hey, whether we're on the phone for 15 minutes, half an hour or an hour, every single time they should be walking away far better off after having that conversation, because whether they work with us or not, we at least gave them actionable guidance to point them in the right direction. And what yeah. we've seen come into play with that time and time again is when we turn down that business or when we push businesses away from working with us because we don't feel that we're the right partner, it sucks in the short term. It's really difficult to turn away that potential revenue. But so many times those businesses will come back to us because the maybe the head of marketing that we were talking to uh, ended up you know, going to another company that was a much better fit to work with us. Or we find that we get recommended by other people that they're connected to who said, hey, so-and-so said that they had a phenomenal conversation with you. You were just genuinely helpful. I'd really like to understand if, you know, insert service is right for our business as well. Yeah. So I totally agree on all those points. I think, you know, you're, you're basically saying lead with value first, you know, make sure that, you know, you're giving as much as you can, even if that value is saying, we're not the best fit, but here may be another fit that we can introduce you to or, or something along those lines. And then also just setting super clear expectations of what, you know, can be done for this client using your expertise and, and knowing where they're at right now. I think with an SEO agency like yourself, there's probably an extra layer of challenge that you have because SEO is not an instant results category. There is time and patience required with almost all SEO clients to take them from where they are to, you know, the ranking that they want to be and then what they want from that ranking. You know, I want to be on the first page of Google, that whole kind of thing. It's like, okay, great. You know, and we'll work toward that. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. It's something you have to do a lot of work that takes months. And a lot of, you know, clients don't have that, that staying power to wait it out that entire time. So have, I'm sure you have to explain that and discuss that deeply on your sales calls specifically when you're selling an SEO service is like, you know, are you in this for the long haul? Do you know what it's going to take to get to that point? And then you probably have to ask them, you know, why do you even want that? Because why do you want to be the first page on Google? Because do you think that that is going to lead to more clicks? Do you think it's more going to lead to more clicks and then revenue? And how much revenue are you thinking? Because I, I find that a, a place where a lot of agencies trip themselves up is they don't understand truly the goals of the, the client. At the clients, they'll come to you and they have all these different expectations and they have all these different ideas of what they need. We've spoken to clients that, you know, we've looked at their whole marketing plan and we've identified the core things that they need to really succeed but they think those those things are not the things that they, they need they think they need these things because they were told by a friend in marketing that that's what they need right so there's a lot of work that has to be done in that discovery phase in that expectations phase of you know letting them know from your own expertise, this is what it's going to take to get there. And these are the things that we think that you need to get there. And then in, in some cases that actually challenges their preconceived beliefs that they're bringing to that sales call. So I'm sure that that's something that you guys must encounter a lot in the SEO space. Definitely. And building upon that, because you hit on such a valuable point there. Um, and I'll, I'll share a book recommendation that I would say is a really good segue for any listeners that that were intrigued by that idea of, you know, hey, how do you approach it if you're talking to a prospect and they think that they need services X, Y, and Z, and you totally disagree with them? Uh, it kills me because I'm not going to be able to think of the author's name, but there's a book out there called The Challenger Sale, which is a phenomenal read that speaks to that exact premise. Um, one of the the core concepts of it is, you know, hey, if you're talking to a prospect and they think that they need X, Y, and Z, if you feel differently, one of the most valuable things that you can do is come to them with that contrarian take and say, hey, based on what we've seen, based on our experience with X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't recommend that you do this. Or maybe you even say, hey, I, I would recommend that you do this, but I'd recommend you approach it from this different angle instead. And it's oftentimes really challenging to have those conversations, but those can be some of the most valuable conversations that you can have with a prospect. And even if they decide not to work with you at the end of the day, they, I can promise you, will find that to be extremely insightful. Um, assuming that they're open-minded, assuming they're looking to 
get advice from others. Some people you may talk to and they may say, hey, I definitely know I need this and you're not going to convince me otherwise. That'll, that'll be a tougher argument. But I would say nine out of 10 prospects that you talk to will genuinely appreciate that. And we'll see that as a genuine benefit towards your cause. Totally. But in the same breath, it is, like you said, it is very challenging. So the, the book title is actually really good because it kind of actually goes against the grain of all conventional sales knowledge. Being disagreeable uh, is like the first rule not to do in sales. Like, don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell them, you know, this isn't the way you have to, in many, you know, a lot of sales training, uh, it's be agreeable, be, you know, uh, yes, confirm their, confirm their beliefs, those kinds of things, and then gently shift them into, you know, what you actually think. So I think that second uh, point you made, which was, uh, you know, agree with what they were saying, but then say, but I think we should approach it like this. Because if you just flat out disagree with what they're saying, they're going to be like, well, this isn't the right guy. Because people, I don't know, we're very interesting creatures. And when we have a belief, whether it is rooted in fact or rooted in, you know, something that they really truly believe is fact, just because a trusted source told them, but that trusted source has no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and you have to overcome that all in a sales call and it can be a lot of work. So I'm, I'm really glad we're kind of diving into this a little bit. So definitely, as you know, the digital marketing industry with agencies, I mean, we, there's agencies that cover every niche out there so many different types of businesses that every first off i believe every business really in 2023 could use uh digital marketing and should use digital marketing to some extent um you know i don't think that's a really controversial belief i think everyone pretty much is on board with that to some level now how much they're willing to invest in it is a totally different thing but we're talking about you know serving industries worldwide in every you know corner of the globe so considering how diverse the needs uh you know of our clients possibly can be how do you approach tailoring digital marketing strategies to different industries and different business models yeah absolutely so i think to your point there are so many diverse needs that are out there and i think I, I do want to just narrow the question just a little bit because I, I can really only speak to the SEO content marketing side of things. I think that, you know, let's say like a web development agency it may find that there are different principles to keep in mind, but maybe, maybe we can, maybe some of this will overlap. But one of the things that our business in particular has found really effective is doing what I would refer to as almost dumbing down the whole value of SEO and how SEO works into its core pillars and ultimately building systems around those ideas of these three core pillars of SEO. Um, and I, I won't dive too deep into this now unless you're interested in it, but maybe I can share a link in the show notes that will dive a bit deeper into this. Um, we're very firm believers that SEO can really be simplified into three core concepts. I refer to these as relevancy, crawlability, and authority. Um, and the article I'll share in the show notes just uh, gives a parallel to how that equates to a cross-country road trip that you're doing. Um, but the very abridged version of it, the less fun version of it, let's say, is authority really focuses on showing search engines like Google that you're a reputable source for information. Two key levers that you can pull that are going to impact this the most are going to be sharing exceptional content on your website related to your brand, showing that you have expertise in the industry that you're working in, and then getting high quality websites to link back to your website. Uh, second pillar, relevancy, is going to be all about just making it easy for your search engines like Google to understand what your website is about. Um, that's where you'll hear a lot of like the traditional on-page SEO elements coming to play. You'll hear optimizing your H1 through H6 tags, optimizing your URL structure, um, anchor text for internal links, and a bunch of other jargony stuff that I won't get deep into there. But sending a lot of signals throughout your website that makes it really easy for a search engine to understand what your website at large and individual pages are about. Third core element, crawlability. I would say ties into the overlap of making it easy for both users and search engines to interact with your website and navigate through your website. That's where you're going to hear a lot of elements like improving your site speed, 
making it easy for search engines to understand which pages on your site should be indexed and are there pages on your site that should not be showing up in search results as well based on the dev framework that you use for your site itself. Um, stepping back from those, those three pillars though, all of our agency services are built on those three core principles and everything that we do is focused on enhancing those three principles, which I'm confident will hold true in the long term. So within that, having this framework that we work within where we say, hey, these are the three core levers that we can pull. Every business is going to have different needs, but we know that these are the three core levers that we need to focus on to help a business to grow in the long term, regardless of one algorithm update or another gives us the freedom to then say, okay, now let's look at businesses on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, fortunately, in our case, and this just comes with experience, we've had a lot of exposure to a lot of different industries over time. Oftentimes, we're able to go back and reference, hey, this worked really well for client A who worked in this particular industry. Let's approach this same mindset here. Second element that comes into play as well, though, is when you have exposure to different industries, you're oftentimes able to pull ideas that work for one client in a radically different industry into a brand new industry and then say, hey, let's look into the data. Let's see if we can test out this idea here. Let's see how it works for this industry. And if you run it in small scale experiments, you may find the initial experiment works extremely well, and then you can actually scale it up significantly from there. Um, so I'm realizing as I'm saying this, this is still very high level because I'm trying to keep it broad and hopefully helpful for everyone else. But maybe a, a better summary of that would be to say, we've had a lot of success by starting out and saying, here are the core principles. Here's the parameters that we need to work within, industry agnostic. And then looking to understand from that outsider's perspective, how can we approach this industry? How can we drive results based on these core parameters that we have to work within and based on what we're seeing work for different industries? Uh, last element that I'll add in there just as a quick little note as well, coming from an agency perspective, there are, I would say, just generally two approaches you can take. One is you can niche down into one very specific service, one very specific industry, or maybe a mix of the two. Two is you can stay very broad and focused. Maybe you offer a series of services to a small grouping of industries, or maybe you offer one set service, but you offer it to everyone under the sun that, that would benefit from your service. There are a lot of pros and cons to both approaches that probably could be like an hour long discussion in of itself. But one of the benefits that I'll say, if you are in a space where you work with multiple industries is going into those industries, working with those new clients that you haven't necessarily had as much exposure to their industry can give you this really powerful advantage where you get to come in with an extreme outsider's perspective. And as long as you're comfortable asking what at times are going to seem like some really dumb questions, you can actually also stumble on some really innovative ideas that haven't been addressed before because people in the industry are so accustomed to having a narrower set of parameters that they have to work within. So oftentimes gives you this added benefit of being able to come in from that outsider's perspective and actually offer some even more remarkable ideas. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit, you hit on a lot of good points there, uh, all, all in one answer. So great job there. Um, you know, first, I think what you said about niching down is, is, you know, really, really helpful advice. I think if you absolutely should niche your agency, whether you're niching into a type of industry and you provide multiple services to that industry, you build websites and you do SEO and you do lead generation for that industry, great. And then you're all about that industry and you really get soaked into it. Or, you know, you're niching down into a service like, you know, SEO and content marketing, like what you guys do. And then you can help multiple different clients across multiple niches uh, with that service because you're just so deeply ingrained in that service and you're able to plug and play different, you know, industries into that. I think, and then there's also a combination of the two. Of course, you can do only one service or two services for a specific uh, industry as well. But one or the other, uh, I think is almost required really to help just like focus your efforts and, and make sure that you're actually reaching your target audience and have your own lead gen and outreach be successful. Because if you're trying to be everything for everybody, then it's going to be really, really sticky process all the way along. Um, and then I think another thing that you said 
what I took from what you said uh, out of the out of your pillars is helping make it, uh, you know, dumbing it down for the client, essentially making it much more easy for the client to digest in what you're doing, right? Because even if you know, there are, you know, there's so many intricacies to SEO and what you do, but if you break it down for your clients in the pillars, everything that we do is going to fall under these three pillars. And this is exactly how we do that, then it can make much easier sense and, and, and you know, un be more understandable for the client through the sales process into the onboarding process, and then all the way through in the following months. So they know, you know, what's working, what's not working, and, and, and what are the pillars that we're working on. We have a very similar system in our agency, where we break everything down into three pillars as well. We generate their leads, we help close those leads into sales, and then we help them for the fulfillment, uh, and, the, and the, you know, the actual fulfillment work of the client themselves. And those three pillars are are everything generating leads closing the sales providing fulfillment work for our clients and then everything that's asked about the process always is going to fall into one of those three categories and then we can kind of help break that down we you know we're able to preach that with our own sales team who are pitching our services and then we're able to then preach that with our clients who are kind of like looking for updates you know what's the, what's going on here what's going on there well that falls into this pillar and this is what we're doing to address that so that organizational structure that you have it helps so much on your own sales team and then also on your fulfillment team with your actual clients. Definitely. And even building upon that, it, in my experience, it also, it just makes it more straightforward for clients as well. You know, we, I think one of, one of the, the things at least that I'm guilty of, and I, I suspect a lot of other agency owners are in a similar boat is you spend so, so much of your waking hours, you know, building your agency, working on your services, working with your team to improve the quality of services, experimenting with uh, different opportunities. You can roll out reading industry publications. It, it oftentimes can be really easy for us to forget that what we do is this extremely sophisticated service. It's, you know, the types of things that over time we become experts in them and people pay us because we are experts in these types of services. And being able to step back and for a client's own perspective, who maybe the client doesn't have a really strong understanding of this space, being able to describe it as, hey, everything we do falls into one of these three groupings, makes it so much more straightforward for them to be able to rationalize and say, oh, okay, I understand why we're going to put a few thousand dollars into something that's going to help us improve pillar number two, because I know that that's important. I know why that's important. Um, so it, it makes it much more straightforward in my experience to keep quality control, maintain service quality, but also just makes it more straightforward for clients, makes it easier for them to rationalize why we're recommending one thing or another thing. Um, and it sounds like you guys are offering the exact same thing where you have your three pillars. And then from there, it's way more straightforward for a client to say, okay, I understand what we're doing with this particular thing is focused on generating leads great, we can sign off on this particular thing in the budget. Yeah, you have to be able to take extremely complex decisions and and strategy and feed that to your client in a really, you know, straightforward way to someone who doesn't speak high level digital marketing. And that's a big challenge that a lot of agencies face, because the worst thing that can ever happen, and I've seen this happen to me in the past, it's happened to my clients that work with clients, like it's, it's a problem that goes across our entire industry but you know the worst thing that can happen is an, a digital marketing agency getting great results for their client and the client is super uh, upset or, or frustrated or not happy with those results because they don't fully understand that those are good results yet right like they they don't know what to expect um and they they're you know their expectations were completely out of whack you know maybe like it, it could be something as small as e-commerce campaigns versus lead generation campaigns. They're going to have very different KPIs in, in paid ads like Facebook ads. They're going to have completely different KPIs. But if you have someone that is used to an e-commerce uh, cost per click, click-through rate, uh, and then now they're starting their first lead generation campaign and they're seeing 10 times the amount of cost per click, but those clicks are worth a, a lot more, right? They're, they're leads in, to buy a high ticket service versus leads to just go to a landing page. There's a massive disconnect there. And we as digital marketers, we take that for granted because we see those types of things all, all day long. But if that's not explained to the client, then the client could immediately think, oh, we're, we're doing 10 times worse 
you know, no, 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 we're comparing apples oranges. These are like the granular things I'm kind of glad we're touching on on this episode, because if it's not done right and done well in the beginning, you could end up with what I consider the worst case scenario, which is great results and an unhappy client. And that's no one to blame, but the agency themselves. Absolutely. And I would say the times like that are the times that I would almost say like a, oddly enough, those are the times that you're most grateful that you hear that client frustration in the early stages of the relationship. You know, if you experience that where you're, you know, yeah, your cost per clicks are 10x what the client is used to seeing, you almost hope that the client's going to be pissed and is going to tell you that they're pissed in the early stages. So then you have the opportunity to at least reactively respond and correct. But to your point with those things, if you can convey those things more clearly up front, it just leads to everyone being happier off. The client's going to look great to their boss. You're going to hopefully be able to retain them as a client in the long term. And hopefully you get a really great case study out of it as well. Absolutely. So now back to the blueprint. So what are some essential components of a successful agency blueprint and how have they evolved over the years? Ooh, I would say... I would say for us, we found there have been two key variables for success. I would say grouping number one has been an extreme obsession over process slash quality control. And what I mean by that is in the early stages of the business, what we would do is we would set aside Fridays as entirely internal days. And the rule was, in, you know, granted, didn't always stay this way, but in in theory, the rule that we were supposed to abide by was Fridays could only be time for us to focus on marketing initiatives for our own business or focusing on testing out new ideas that we wanted to roll out for future service improvements or documenting updates to service improvements. Um, I would recommend that every business do this in the early stages because it gets nearly impossible to do that as you grow. There's always going to be a million distractions that come up and you're always going to push those ideas to the back burner. Um, and on Fridays, Fridays are oh, always when clients have have the emergencies. Every fire happens on a Friday. Like, I don't know. I don't know why you picked that day. I don't know if your your experience is the same as mine, but Fridays are the days that fires happen without doubt. Absolutely. And I, I have the, uh, the, I guess I would say the the added frustration that'll come into play that, you know, I, it's for me, I'm based in, in Sweden these days. So I'm eight hours ahead of mountain time, six hours ahead of Eastern time. Um, it seems like any of those, you know, and oftentimes they're, they're not necessarily big issues in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, understandably so people are really passionate about their business. Little things will come up and instantly they'll jump and say, oh, we need to fix this ASAP. But it does seem like those things always come up like right always around 4, on a 5, 6 p.m. my time on Friday nights. And it's not and it's not of like with us as as the agency owner, like we see the grand scheme of things and we know that it, it's not a fire. It's like it's like a, a sparkler that you threw on the ground and popped. It's like it's like that level. But to the client, it's like a five alarm, five story building fire. Right. It's always a, a big, a big thing for the client. So then you got to, you know, you got, I don't know. I don't know what the psychology, it has to be some type of psychology about that on why Fridays. Um, <laughs> but I would just, I just, sorry, not to derail the conversation, but I thought it was interesting that you're, cause I love, I really love the whole, this is set aside time for the agency to work on us and, and to, to better our systems, processes, our marketing. I, I love that. I've actually never heard that in all 89 episodes with agency owners. So I, I think that's a really, really cool insight. Um, oh, but yeah, I just that. had to throw that in there because fire days are like our fire alarm days always. Definitely. Definitely. And along those lines, you know, one of, one of the things I'm really grateful for about that, you know, that Friday internal day is mm -hmm. you know, we joked from the really early stages of the company, you know, as much as we like to believe otherwise, no one is really that motivated to work by the time Friday rolls around. Like it doesn't matter if you're running your own business, doesn't matter if you're an employee or a freelancer working with another business. Fridays are, you know, at best you're, maybe you get 80% productivity that day. Yeah. Our theory, though, was, hey, if we can set that aside as a day when people are forced to work on projects that they're really excited for, are forced to do things that are going to grow the company, both for us and other people on the team, 
that's such a huge opportunity to hopefully get them to enjoy Fridays a little bit more. And hopefully it actually becomes a somewhat productive day. Um, to your point, though, you know, very quickly, you hit the point where uh, Fridays in principle are, you know, the internal day and then in reality become helping, you know, three different clients with uh, all these like sparklers, as you said, that, yeah. are, uh, that are coming up. But within that, we found that from the early stages, having an extreme obsession over process and quality control is one of the key things that drove success for that, us. And what I mean by that is we had a, a general principle that if there was something that we were doing that we expected that we were going to have to do multiple times again in the future, we would create a process doc for it. And over time, those process docs have evolved. It does open up a whole new can of worms when you get a bunch of process docs and then you have to start thinking about, hey, how do we store these? How do we make them accessible? Um, that is a, probably a, a whole nother conversation of it in of itself. But having an extreme obsession over documenting everything we did with the end goal being, hey, we want to be able to fire ourselves from doing these things. We want to create process for this so that we can ultimately bring someone else on the team so that they can do this as well. And now we have two people on the team that can do this thing so that we can help twice as many businesses. So from day one, we had an obsession about process docs and that process doc obsession has helped us since day one to keep way higher quality control. It's helped us to deliver consistent results for clients and it's made onboarding new members of the team far more straightforward. Because onboarding is always really time intensive. It's always an exhausting process as an employee or a freelancer entering a new company. But in my experience, if you can bring someone onto the team and you can hand them process docs that they can reference at any time that outline, call it 80% of their job responsibilities, then A, they get to consume that content in the moment and get a better sense of how their historic processes differ from ours. Um, and B, they always have that reference point that they can go back to and can continue to improve and help us to become better as a company over time. So having that process doc set up with the caveat being process docs can make it really easy for people to fall into a mentality of just checking the boxes. So one of the biggest things we push for is the idea that, hey, process docs at best are only going to get you a B plus, maybe an A minus in terms of work quality. Instead of just blindly following the process docs, use it as your baseline and call us out. If you think that the process doc comes up short, look for opportunities for how to improve it and disagree with the process docs and do things differently when you see opportunities to. The only requirement is you need to share that with the team because it could be a huge learning opportunity for everyone on the team. So yeah. process docs have been huge. I can't speak highly enough about them. They feel super boring in the moment, but they are so essential for helping your team and helping maintain quality. Yeah. The second core principle that I would recommend for any agency that's been super helpful for us has been within that, I guess I would almost say like within that realm of, of process, defining the core hiring process that you go through and what it is that you consider to be a great member of your team. Um, we have spent years trying to perfect this. We've had a lot of hires that did phenomenal work, and then we've had hires that didn't work out. Um, I firmly believe every business is going to experience both. There are going to be some people you bring onto the team that just aren't the right fit. And then there's going to be some people that are a phenomenal fit. And you're going to be able to learn from both those experiences about how do you go about hiring more of those people that were the perfect fit? Um, and how do you go about trying to not hire the people that weren't a bad fit? Because, you know, if they only stay on your team for three months, that's a terrible experience for them. And it's a really costly experience for you. So. One of the, I guess I would say, tidbits I would offer there, um, I have, I would say I've struggled with hiring a lot over the years. I feel very confident in our hiring process now, and I attribute most of our success to hiring to this singular book that I read called The Ideal Team Player by, and I, I feel terrible, I always butcher his last name, I believe it's Patrick Lynchoni. Um but it is a phenomenal read that speaks to the core traits to look for in any hire, very focused around soft skills. Um, 
our whole hiring process has really come off of that principle. And ultimately now when we hire for our team, whether it's a freelancer or a full-time employee, we look to find people that have three core traits. We look for people that are humble, hungry, and emotionally intelligent. And there's a lot of individual questions that we've built out in terms of our framework. Much of that, frankly, was directly taken from the ideal team player. So listeners, if you're intrigued by this, I highly recommend it. It's one of the top uh, books that I recommend for managers, leaders, you name it, to improve your hiring process. And Patrick does a phenomenal job in that book of, or between that book and then PDFs that are uh, accessible on his website attached to that book. He does a phenomenal job of outlining all sorts of questions that you can ask that help to vet for those different skill sets. I very firmly believe, though, that if you hire people that have those three characteristics, that is the essential foundation for a great hire. And within that, the only caveat that will come into play is being aware of what level of experience is required given their specific job title. Um, you know, a, a really extreme example, if you're looking to, let's say, hire a head of marketing and you find someone who has a year of experience that is humble, hungry, and emotionally intelligent, they're probably not going to work out as your head of marketing, but they might have potential to become your head of marketing five, 10 years from now as they get more experience. So hiring for those three key traits and then looking to, I would almost say treating it as like the technical interview outside of that to make sure that they have the necessary level of experience, the necessary level of hard skills with whatever they're going to be doing. Uh, we found really focusing on that and process has been, I would say, the key drivers for success for us. I love it. I love it. So to summarize, your blueprint for success is going to be uh, I call that you call them process docs. I call them SOPs, standard operating procedures, same things. So making sure that you're documenting your processes as you find repeatable things and almost everything that you do in an agency in terms of client fulfillment is going to be process docable. essentially. Everything needs to be written down uh, because you don't want people freewheeling and doing one thing one way and one thing the other way. You just lose all quality control. So I completely agree. What Do you do you use a software for your process docs? Are you, we honestly, we use um, a combination of things. We, we work in Airtable to kind of map all of our clients and everything. So we have a lot of our process docs in there. Um, and then some of our other ones are on like Google you know, Google Docs, and then they have Loom videos embedded step by step to kind of get more granular. Do you recommend any specific thing for process docs or, or what are you using? Yeah, it's it's funny hearing Airtable. It's, it's one of my favorite tools that we started using probably two years ago for in particular for a lot of our project management. Um, okay, yeah, same. But for us, uh, it sounds like very similar workflow. So we have it's a little convoluted. We have almost all of our documents, I would say, stored in Google Drive. So whether it's like a Google Doc, uh, Google Sheet, you know, Google Slides, you name it. Um, what we then do on top of that is we have uh, a tool called Notion, which I refer to it as our team knowledge base. And reason for that, what we found is as you build more and more of these SOPs or process docs, it becomes really hard for the team to understand how to actually find process docs and to mm -hmm. understand if there even is a process doc for something. Um, so we have probably over the past two, three years, put a lot of time into using Notion as the goal is to treat it as a more easily accessible and more easily searchable tool to store all of those process docs and to store information for ease of access to the team. Um, so my, I would say general recommendation would be it doesn't need to be any I personally don't think you need to have any really sophisticated stock software from the onset. I'd recommend just using Google Drive and just creating a bunch of like Google Google Docs and create process docs in there. Um, what I would say though is as you start building more and more process docs and in particular as the team starts to grow, I would recommend thinking from the onset about how you can make that information really easily accessible. Because especially if you're at the helm of the ship and let's say you're behind the creation of half, two thirds of the process docs, it's going to be far easier for you to recall which process docs you have and where they're located than it is someone who maybe is only a month into being on your team. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So uh, 
process docs, make sure everything is well documented and that your team can easily find them, retrieve them and follow them step by step just to make everything more streamlined and, you know, replicable and, and so that we're producing the same quality every time. Uh, and then having a, uh, you know, dialed in hiring process was your other one and making sure that you're really onboarding the right team members. You're not wasting your time with a churn and burn in terms of your actual contractor and employee retention uh, and making sure that you just have a rock solid team. I think those are, are really, really good uh, pillars uh, in terms of the actual agency blueprint. Um, we did touch on in the very beginning, uh, I mean, I did in your intro that you had failed seven times uh, with previous businesses before you hit it big with your current agency uh, and, and grew it to, you know, seven figures, which I think is something that is overlooked so much in the entrepreneurial space. Like we always, you know, dismiss our failures. And I think we should actually talk about our failures more because for younger aspiring entrepreneurs, like they need to be ready for that and understand that that's a real an expected part of this process. So I definitely do, you know, want to ask you as an entrepreneur who has experienced your fair share of failures before success, what key lessons, uh, you know, would you like to share with the audience um, about, you know, starting your own digital marketing agency and, and kind of going through that, that period of failure uh, before you, you know, because a lot of people think you're just going to start it, it's going to hit it big, and you're going you're gonna to do great, right? You know, and a lot of gurus out there are, are preaching that kind of stuff and giving that kind of false hope. So I love that you kind of included that in, you know, your, your intro that, you know, no, it wasn't just, a, you know, an instant success. So, you know, what would be some advice that you would give, um, you know, younger aspiring entrepreneur, entrepreneurs having gone through those failures yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it, it's funny hearing every time I hear the the seven failed businesses, I, I think back to quite a few dumb mistakes that I made over the years and trying to start each of those. Um, so and you learn from every one you, of them. Oh, definitely. You learn so much from the failures. And it's my experience. And, you know, hopefully this helps out, uh, I would say almost more so on like an emotional side of things. And then I'll get into the, the uh, specifics about uh, actionable advice. But um, every one of those businesses that I tried to start, I poured my heart and soul into it. And every single one of them, I felt totally deflated when those ideas eventually, when it became clear to me that, hey, this isn't going to work out. Um, granted, some of them were shorter lived than others. You know, the first one was uh, going dumpster diving after final exams in high school to take used textbooks that people were throwing away and then selling them on Amazon. And to this day, uh, I've been banned from selling things on Amazon. And I still, to this day, <laughs> 20 some odd years later, cannot sell books on Amazon. How um, funny. So that'll come back to bite me and uh, bite me in the butt someday, I'm sure. But, um, but every one of those ideas, it's really painful going through that experience. And that's okay. It's, you know, yeah, it sucks in the moment when you have to give up on something that you thought was going to be your future, but you learn so much from those experiences, particularly when you're able to step back, when you're able to remove the emotions, and where you're able to be, I would say, not critical of yourself, but when you're able to be candid with yourself and say, why didn't this work out? What can I take away from this so that I can be stronger the next time I go through this? Um, getting into the actionable advice for agency owners that, or people that are looking to start their own agency or maybe are in the early stages of building an agency. Um, few uh, kind of just broad thoughts that I'll share there. So starting an agency, um, I would say the best way to approach it from the beginning from a financial standpoint is before, if it's possible to do so, before going off and starting an agency, I would very highly recommend uh, doing a couple different things to financially prepare yourself. One, probably the, I would say more so the, the obvious one is I would work on setting aside a savings account, work on setting aside some buffer time, because for the first, you know, I would say on the low end, six, maybe 12 months of starting your agency, it is going to feel nearly impossible to bring on clients. Largely because you're not going to have, most likely, will not have previous success stories that you can showcase. You're not going to have a formal sales process. You're not going to have any of those process docs. You're not going to have people on your team that you've hired and that you've onboarded. You're not going to have your formal project management system. You're not going to have a great invoicing system. There's a lot of systematic things that you'll be building in those first six to 12 months outside of even the marketing and sales process. 
So if possible, operate it from the perspective of assuming you're not going to be able to pay yourself a salary for quite some time. Uh, when my then business partner and I, Dave, started what is now Intergrowth, I don't think we paid ourselves a salary. I, I think actually we were fortunate because we, we spent six months moonlighting, building this business basically nights and weekends before we left to do this full time. And even with that, I don't think we paid ourselves a salary for the first three to six months. And then after that, you know, we joke that we were by far the lowest paid people on the team. We paid ourselves an intern salary and lived on the absolute bare minimum essentials that we possibly could so that we could put more money back into the company. Um, even that in mind, we were extremely fortunate that we were able to pay ourselves a salary, you know, call it six months in. That's a luxury that a lot of people don't have. Um, so I would definitely encourage practicing quite a bit of savings, trying to cut costs wherever you can. There is a great concept that comes, uh, Tim Ferriss has, has spoken about this quite a bit, but uh, also comes from stoic methodology of uh, practicing poverty, uh, which, you know, it, it sounds hypocritical for me to, to say like, oh, practice poverty, you know, when you when I lived in a great apartment even still, and, you know, had a loving family, had a lot of luxuries that I think probably excluded me from being able to practice this principle. But the whole concept of practicing poverty is figure out for short periods of time how you can cut absolutely every expense possible and live on the absolute bare minimum. Um, some of the tangible examples that I've worked with are give yourselves three to five period days of time that you strictly live on rice and beans. I would say even take it a step farther and don't even add salt to it. Um, reason being, when you practice these extreme sort of ideas, my experience firsthand has been that it like almost psychologically resets your understanding of like spending money on certain concepts. Um, but two, it gives you so much greater appreciation for those little luxuries that you do have in life. You know, if you spend three days eating beans and rice and then you get to order like even the cheapest takeout pizza that's available for yourself, let's say on like a Friday night, that pizza is going to taste so damn good afterwards. Uh, but it's also going to show you over time that, hey, if you're really passionate about this idea, there are things that you can do to cut expenses from your life so that you can live on that intern salary while you build this business from the ground up. Um, stepping away from the financials of just starting out, though, one of, I would say, the, the biggest takeaways that I've had from building the agency so far is, I would say two years, maybe three years is a good benchmark to go with. The first two to three years of starting the agency, most likely, or my theory, let's say, is that you will have by far the easiest time selling deals to connections that you've made over time. That might be like friends, it might be past work colleagues, it might be um, yeah, we'll say that friends, colleagues, other people that are recommended to you by friends or colleagues, those first two to three years, that's going to be the time when it's going to seem most straightforward to close those deals because people will be thinking of you, you know, you haven't necessarily gone to them for business before, and there can be some phenomenal opportunities there. While that time is going on, in my experience, that's also going to be the toughest time to close new business outside of that network. Largely because until you start getting some case studies, until you start getting client reviews, until you start appearing and sharing different insights, let's say, with the world, whether it's on podcasts, um, speaking at a conference, writing blog content, creating YouTube videos, you name it, it's going to be really hard to legitimize yourself to people that don't know you from a mutual connection. So first two to three years, what I really encourage doing is certainly lean on those connections that you've made for your initial client base. I would almost say more importantly than that, focus on A, taking on really challenging projects that fall within your realm of expertise. It's going to give you a far better understanding of what it is that you're exceptional at versus what it is that maybe you're just pretty good at so that you can better narrow your focus down the road. Two, when you take that really broad focus of taking on challenging projects, it's going to oftentimes yield some really phenomenal results for businesses that you help, which in turn can then lead to those client reviews, can lead to those case studies, and can lead to referrals from those businesses in the future. Um, I would really encourage in that first two to three year span, really rely on that network, but also invest really heavily in your own business by putting out, I like to use the term like practice what you preach. 
And what I specifically mean by that is in the early stages, my assumption is that most listeners will find that it's much tougher to close deals. They're going to be working really long hours and they're probably going to be wishing that they had more client work. I would really encourage take some of that time that you wish you could put into client work and reinvest it into the exact same services that you sell for clients. So to give just a couple tangible examples of what that might look like, we at the end of the day are an SEO slash content marketing agency. 90% of our marketing, call it our marketing investments to date, both time and money, have gone into writing blog content on our own website. Um, and that has ultimately, I mean, granted, you end up in a self-fulfilling prophecy where if that's all you invest in, that's all you get results from. But we found that nearly all of the customers that we brought on have either come to us from referral or have been inbound leads who read our blog content, found it helpful and reached out to us. Uh, that is ultimately the service we offer to clients. It's the service that I know our team is exceptional at, and therefore it's the service that we invest in for our own business. Um, to give a just another tangible example, let's say that you are a WordPress development agency. A couple things that you could do. One, you could end up trying to just design these really sleek websites and push them out, publish them on, let's say, like awards.com as a way to potentially get your name out there. If you're working on an open source platform like WordPress, or even if you're working on Shopify as well, you could also invest resources as potentially a marketing strategy into building, you know, in WordPress plugins, um, in Shopify apps, but release those types of, let's just call them like add-ons for your website very broadly. Consider building those based on what your business individually needs or what you find that your clients need that you don't see in the market. If you're interested in it, offer them as free extensions and treat it as like a marketing investment where you say, hey, maybe we can get a thousand people to download this particular tool that we've built out for Shopify. And maybe some of the people that are building this tool will end up working with us down the road, especially if you integrate some email marketing in with an email capture, let's say that you have set up for that platform. Uh, but maybe, uh, you know, consolidating that focus and stepping away from the rambling I would really encourage in those early years, practice what you preach, sell your agency the exact same service that you sell to clients, knowing that you know during that two, three year window when you're getting referrals from friends, family, colleagues, isn't gonna last forever. And you really wanna prepare your agency for that stage where you're able to get business outside of that. Um, last element that comes to mind, and this is, I would say a lesson that we've really been learning over the past two years, um, I would say probably probably getting into like early 2022, we saw our sales cycle just really slow down. We went from being a team that was, I would say, generating 90 plus percent of our business from referrals or inbound leads that would find our content online. Uh, we saw that lead flow probably cut down to 20, 30 percent of what it used to be. Um, and I would say even going into this year, it's been a really difficult sales year. It's been a really slow year for us. Um, I'm really grateful that, you know, we've had, I would say, a really promising couple of months. Things seem to be going significantly better now than they were a year back. Um, but one of the things that we only recently started rolling out that I, looking back, wish that we had started doing two years ago is we were so focused on providing content marketing services to our own agency as our sole investment that during a time when you know people aren't necessarily actively seeking out solutions for their business, um, it would have been really helpful if we had another sales channel that we were looking towards. So it's frankly only in the past couple of months that we even started rolling out any sort of outreach process to contact businesses that um, really had expressed a formal interest in us, had visited pages on our site, um, and maybe subscribed, let's say, to like our email newsletter to finding businesses that are really similar to other businesses we've helped out and trying to start a conversation with them. I would say the the best time to to start doing that sales outreach process if that's not your core competency that you're investing, you know, 80% of your budget into, best time to do it is 2 years back. Next best time is to start doing it today at least. Um I would really encourage doing that before you find yourself in a stage where you have no business coming in the door and all of a sudden you're scrambling to say, hey, how can we meet payroll? Um, so I'm very grateful that things have panned out okay there so far. 
Uh, but looking back, that's something like I wish I had been given that advice two years ago, and I wish that I had taken that advice. It would have put us, I would say, in a much better spot today. Um, we're still, I would say, very healthy right now, but um, certainly would have taken a little bit of stress off of my plate if we had rolled out that advice. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Pat, that was a phenomenal answer. There was so much in there. I feel like our audience is going to have to rewind and listen to that answer again. Typically, the last question I ask on every podcast episode is, what's your number one piece of advice for a brand new agency that is just starting out? And you answered that beautifully uh, with you know, a, a whole long, very, very detailed segment, probably the, the most detailed answer to a question that I never asked you uh, ever on this show. So congrats. I love that. Uh, I don't even have to ask that last, my last question because you just answered it so well for me. Um, that, that is our time for the show today. And Pat, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like we could have had three more podcast episodes because there's just so much more to get into here and you provided our, our listeners so much value. So again, thank you so much for being here. Tyler, it was my pleasure. Thank you for asking so many good questions. This was a blast today. That's going to be it for today's episode. If you're ready to take your marketing agency or B2B business to the next level and have your leads, your sales, and your client fulfillment all done 100% for you, then apply now at www.profitpeak.co. That's www.profitpeak.co. There will be a clickable link in the podcast show notes below. See you on the next episode of the Profit Playbook Podcast.